Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning, everybody. It's Sunday. That means it's another edition of The Main Course. I'm your host, Patrick Martins. We are engineered by Joe Galarraga. Joe, wake up. That intro couldn't have been that bad that quick. Not yet. All right, so you're still up. How's it going? How was uh, your performance last night at Webster Hall? It was great. It was a blast. Very yeah. fun time. Played with a band from London, Ontario, Canada. Hmm. So it was And great. you were the lead singer for it? Yeah, I was. Lead singer every time. Very impressive. Yeah, you, you kind of have that build and kind of comport yourself a little like Mick Jagger. You have that Jagger swagger. Oh my gosh, thank you, Patrick. For sure. So, uh, well, we want to thank Kane 5, of course, for sponsoring us. Uh, we absolutely love that wine here at Heritage, and Chris Howell has been a supporter of uh, Slow Food back in the late 90s and early 2000s, and now Heritage Radio Network. He, he cares about the land, he cares about community, so uh, we really appreciate Kane 5. Well, this has been a, of course, we're broadcasting out of Roberta's, 261 Moore Street. Uh, This has been a big food week. There's been a lot of outrage in Europe because of uh, horse meat being found in the... uh in lasagna and in hamburgers. They did a study and they found some horse meat. Well, one question I have is, you know, how come the business section publishes this and not the food section? I mean, they don't have a reporter that, that, that covers this. I mean, it is that food section is such the style energy. I think they, they it is their duty to also report it, you know, to have their opinions on things, you know. Um, of course, it is weird to think that you might have been given horse meat when you think you're eating cow meat but you know what's the real difference i mean <coughs> false labeling that's an issue and of course there's this equine painkiller which i'm going to uh mispronounce but fenily fennel butazone or butte <laughs> they've already abbreviated it for because it's hard to pronounce just butte um butte is a could be very, very detrimental to human health. So that equine painkiller, if that got into the burgers, you have a serious shit show on your hands. If it didn't, uh, it's not quite so bad. But um, And then also in the horse kind of uh, zone, they just are about to open for the first time, I think in six years, a slaughterhouse for horses in the United States. And it's going to be in New Mexico. So that strikes me as a good idea because, uh, you know, it seems like farmers should get uh, something for, you know, ending the lives of their horses in a humane manner versus, you know, having no incentive at all to deal with the issue and then those horses die alone or starving in fields. So uh, a few slaughterhouses is probably a good idea. Anyway, um, Joe, would you eat horse meat or have you ever eaten horse meat? I never have, but I would. You would? Yeah. That's cool. Um, no, I think it's a very lean meat. People like it very much. Um, and then in other news, before we get to our first guest, uh, you know, which is uh, a very, very uh, respected chef in the industry, and we're honored that he came in and talked with us this Sunday, James Tracy. He's about to come on. And uh, at 1235, we're going to call Nancy Newsom. Uh, one of the most preeminent ham cures in the United States. Um, But Fairway reopened, as did the Brooklyn Winery yesterday in Brooklyn. So um, that was really, really big. I live near Red Hook. Heritage Radio Network covered it. We had two of our interns out there uh, reporting and Based off of their summary of what happened at Fairway, you know, it was really exuberant. I mean, the story begins and ends with the fact that Miss America was there. (laughs) And uh, we were very honored to get a few words from her. Um, But uh, anyway, congratulations to our corporate sponsors, Fairway Market, and to the revitalization of a really 
damaged neighborhood from uh, Hurricane Sandy. So, Mazel Tov, congratulations. And um, congratulations to you guys, Joe and Aaron Fairbanks, the executive director of Heritage Radio Network, and Jack Inslee, the producer. Um, I think we're about to come on our 4,000th show and counting. Um, You guys just published a new membership brochure. You got membership is soaring. You just started your monthly salon series. Um, A really great turnout for the event. And um, anyway, you guys are doing great stuff. I'm a big admirer of of your guys' energy and ideas. So we're going to take a 30-second break and come back with James Tracy of Craft and Colicchio and Sons. You're listening to Rabies by Huntronic on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to the show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit Kane5.com. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m., you can call food scientist Dave Arnold and ask any question you want. John from Chicago, you're on the air. Hey, hey, Dave. Who am I fooling? This is horrible stuff. Without glutamic acid, you die. It is a matter of taste, but there's a lot more fat in sausage than you think. Get ahead of the curve. Tune into Cooking Issues every Tuesday at 12 p.m. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right. Well, we are back in studio with Chef James Tracy. Welcome, James. Thanks, Patrick. Well, it's a real honor to uh, to uh, have you in studio. Uh, you are, you know, it's a it's an amazing bio to read. It's almost uh, so impressive. I, I don't want to just read it because uh, it's got so much information in it. I thought uh, we would kind of do your bio as a kind of rapid fire, which is awesome and it's my favorite part of all shows so uh eight you're very inspired by green market that's just a, a huge thing driving force for you back from your early days when you first got into food in texas <clears throat> i wouldn't say texas too much but uh yeah. once i got up to new york and then even when i was in western mass for a little while uh dealing with the green market but also small farmers and you know random people that you guys work with at heritage even um you know, with meats, you know, all sorts of vegetables and, you know, building relationships on, on those, you know, you know, inspire, you know, you go out and you find a certain vegetable and you figure out what dish you want to do with that and uh, go from there. So, uh, and now you work alongside with chef Tom Calicchio, um, at, uh, two restaurants. I mean, well, three or three really, but, uh, in New York city anyway, Calicchio sons, uh, Calicchio and sons and Kraft. Uh, which received its second three-star review from the New York Times in September of uh, 2011. So, um, I mean, that is uh, uh, two very, very high-end restaurants and challenge restaurants because, I mean, Kraft was one of these restaurants that really pushed uh, the envelope of what a menu looks like. I mean, it really allows you to craft your meal as you wish. Can you explain a little bit uh, the concept of the menu at Kraft? Yeah, when it originally came out, you know, uh, it'll be 12 years uh, this month, actually. Uh, everyone was so surprised and like, you know, what's going on with this menu? And, it, you know, you look at steakhouses and it's been done for a very long time, you know, mm-hmm. very similar menus. So that we're doing fish, you know, all sorts of great birds, um, you know, all sorts of different vegetables, mushrooms. But you don't just have appetizers and main course and desserts. And with the cheese course, you have something like, 10 categories or whatever yeah the categories are broken down to like roasted raw uh you know mushrooms grains um so you know you pick and choose and you know the best part about it is that you pick and choose whatever you want Mm -hmm. so people who are extremely picky who don't like 
sauce on the side or I don't like this this garnish with this plate. This is like the perfect case scenario. Um, you can choose exactly what you want and it has very minimal garnish and the sauces are, you know, very, you know, sometimes on the side are, uh, you know, it's extremely well for picky people and also mm-hmm. for vegetarians. And now, uh, then now in Calicchio and Sons, you still have a very diverse menu, but you're essentially selecting a little bit more uh, than you are at Kraft because, you know, you can really make your own menu at Kraft. At Calicchio, it's a little bit the more traditional appetizer main course. So has that been a tough transition of what you would pick to represent you guys on the menu? Um, it's been a fun transition because I was at Kraft, you know, back at Kraft for four years. And then... Uh, I talked to Tom about going over to Click and Sons, so it was, you know, it's fun. You know, it's a different, like, plating food compared to, like, the family style that we do at Kraft. Uh, you get to play a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, how you order and how you think about doing the food is a little bit different. You know, we have different tasting menus. We have the tap room, which has, you know, 20-something beers on tap, um, including Shift Drink, which is an awesome beer that we did for the just for our restaurant. Mm. But uh, it's more casual on the front, you know, like we'll do uh, braised brisket um, with mashed potatoes and pickled, you know, pickled uh, cabbage. And then the back we'll have a seven course menu that is a little more complex, mm-hmm. you know, truffles and caviar and, you know, all those type of things that you think of. Very interesting. Now, I see you're a graduate early on now, uh, throwing it back a little bit, the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park. Did you learn more from your school time? Or more from actually being in kitchens and working with chefs? I mean, just what's your stance on paying money to go to school to learn about cooking? Well, at that point, I was 18 when I went to the CIA. You know, a lot of people are uh, career changers or go later in life or whatever. So it was good for me to go to some sort of college. Looking back, I would have rather gone to like a four-year program, maybe uh, got a bachelor's in something else, Mm -hmm. and then went to CIA or the even started cooking at that point so for me it was it kind of grounded me into the point where i was going to go afterwards um you know the, the, my learning curve was great at the beginning of certain things you know i went to red sage for a little while right out of school in washington dc yeah i moved to dc after school and um went to red sage and hung out with some people and uh, chris constantino had a great time hanging oh, yeah. out with him. who's now has uh, gone out west right san francisco yeah, and yeah. He's on television. I see him, and uh, he is on, uses all those offcuts. And yeah, great yeah. guy, a lot of passion. And you know, when I was twenty, and we were all going out having a good time, you know, it was a lot of trouble, but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fun. Uh, and then I went to Vidalia, and we're for Jeffrey Bubin, and we mm-hmm. had we had a great team when I went in there. And um, what did you learn there? I mean, what did you my, take my, away? I, I think I learned the most, you know, in a small period of time through Jeff, because mm-hmm. uh, I was. <clears throat> just turned 21 you know like i was kind of a sponge so you know one that kitchen was extremely rough to come into like we never asked anyone's name until after two weeks they were there because <laughs> it seemed like there was no point um for better or for worse um but i learned his work ethic um you know he's extremely tight you know he's a chef owner so he's the guy who goes to the garbage and picks out the silverware and then goes and you know, talks to the staff uh, severely, <laughs> but also like learning uh, basic techniques of sauce, cook, you know, cooking protein, vegetables, you know, uh, that was a great starting point. Is it harder to be a sponge? Are you less absorbing now in your older age? Uh, like it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> I mean, now are you kind of set in how you see things? No, or do no. you still absorb as much as quickly as you did then? Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like I absorbed the same. I just, there was more to absorb as a cook at mm-hmm. that point. Right. You know, I was young. I was, you know, dealing with cooks. Now I, I try to think about where I was at that point and, you know, instill like qualities like I, I learned when I, when I met Jeff mm-hmm. and he's the reason why I went to New York, uh, to start cooking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause you left, uh, DC, uh, you followed in the uh, footsteps of uh, God. What is that famous name? Uh, who's that famous chef in D.C. from the six, six, 70s and 80s? Uh, number one chef of all time. Anyway, Paladin. Paladin. Yeah, Jean Louis Paladin. I tried there. I tried to get a job there. Oh yeah. Uh, it was an awesome kitchen, and I have a menu from that point. And uh, 
you know, I think I was American and I was very young. So. He wished he had gone to New York, it seems. Well, he did at the end. Oh, at the end. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it was funny because he was such a pioneer. And then he's like, which city do I go to? And at the yeah. time, D.C. seemed better than New York. But uh, but then you landed at uh, Danny Meyer's Gramercy Tavern. And that's where you first met Tom Calicchio, right? Is in the kitchens there yep. at Gramercy Tavern. Yeah, I was uh, cooked there for about three years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, kind of worked everywhere in the kitchen. Even worked pastry for almost a year with Claudia, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it was myself and Benno working pastry. Jonathan Benno, yeah, uh, really? He nights, was on uh, pastry. Oh yeah, yeah. I had to carry him in pastry. And now, <laughs> now he's at Per Se, uh, and then he went to uh, Lincoln, right? Yeah, he's yeah. at Lincoln. Yeah. Um, well, very, very interesting. So you and Tom must have had some type of uh, connection there, but then you moved on and worked at. Les Binas, the St. Regis Hotel, um, which is a four-star rated uh, restaurant. Um, yes, that was that was great because it was a point where, you know, a lot of these classic, classic French restaurants were closing. And uh, working for Deluvier was pretty amazing and in a tough situation with the union. And, and, you know, the you know at a certain point they closed. But, you know, I got to saw some amazing stuff, you know, how he dealt with hair. You know, the wild Scottish hare, uh, the poached poulard, that was one of his signature dishes. Um, and, you know, it was a, it was a great so experience. So what's that mean, a signature dish? Yeah, I mean, did he just do that dish better than anyone, or did no one else do it? I, I never, I've never seen anyone do it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you describe it? I yeah, mean, it, was, just, it was stuffed with foie gras. Uh-huh. And we made a, a stock that was three times over with whole hens. So, you get the hens in the stock, you take the hens out. So, not just the bones. No, the hen, old hens. Old hens, yeah. And then you do that three times over, hmm. which is not very cost effective. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it, is it made an incredible stock. You had a little tomato in it, and then we would poach that, the poulard in there, and then on the, they would show that and serve that for, I think it was for two, um, and then made a basmati truffle risotto. Hmm. And the risotto there was, you know, it was kind of like a butter sauce, <laughs> you know, uh, you had to be careful not to break it because there was so much butter added to it. But. <laughs> Very interesting. But uh, so, why didn't you stay uh, at Gramercy Tavern then? I mean, you just had reached as high as you were going to go there, and you just wanted to still see other cuisines and work Absolutely. under other Absolutely. people. Absolutely, yeah. It was a chance to go see a four-star French classic French technique restaurant, and you know, um, it was great. So, how did you interact with Tom there? Uh, and uh, did Tom say one day, hey, we should work together again one day? Or did you keep in touch with them as you went through these <clears throat> other chapters? Well, at Gramercy, you know, I you know, I love working with, at Gramercy, of, of course, and uh, working with the guys like Marco Canora and Jonathan Beno and uh, Akhtar Nawab and, you know, Karen Damasco, I got to know. And, you know, so that was the opening crew of Kraft wow. with, you know, Damon Wise and myself. And it was like, at a certain point in Las Panas, I was, you know, at one point I was sent over to the, the hotel kitchen because I got laid off for a couple months. And then I went back to the Las Panas because of, you know, logistics and the mess with the union. Um, so I felt like it wasn't going to go anywhere there. And I felt like craft was a great opportunity. So I reached out to Tom and, and we had a five minute conversation on the phone and, and then we started. So Very good. And so you went to craft and uh, you took on. Um well, you helped them open it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Those lights up there, we spent about eight hours one day putting those light pictures together. Because uh, <laughs> it was a little late opening, so we had to fill our time. So did you have a bigger kitchen because you had so many dishes that you had to keep fresh and, and, and fire at the right times? Because, you know, basically it was like a tasting menu, except that the person can choose what they want. Well, it, you know, there's a lot. When, when the plates come up to the table there's it's all set in the middle so there's a lot of plates to go up mm-hmm. uh, a, a seven top the ticket could be you know a foot and a half long because all the sides and all the garn you know everything that's involved so i mean i think being a chef owned restaurant you know the chef was always very conscious of the kitchen mm-hmm. you know so we had a great kitchen mm-hmm. for sure so uh, are you nervous or is it a different kind of clientele than the other restaurants because tom cook is a top chef and it's a top chef restaurant i mean is that pressure to 
dazzle and sparkle or i mean is that just uh, a kind of funny thing in the background that the guy you work with and close to is just on tv and well i mean it's definitely not a hurt the business you know mm-hmm. um i think any chef in in the city that works in any restaurant is going to have pressure very similar pressure the thing that uh you know you get comment cards and you get open table feedback and you get all this stuff and the thing that's really annoying is like when they make comments about Top Chef, like you know, like you know, Tom Click, you'll go pack your knives. You know, our dinner's really sucks. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's kind of annoying, and uh, I'm I'm sure that annoys the hell out of Tom. Yeah, but um, I feel like we don't get that many comments anymore. But uh, but you see that every once in a while, and it's like, really, that was fucking original, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so now um, managing two places is difficult i mean you have two different teams two setups two kitchens and how you set up the kitchen and where things are placed i mean then all the personalities i mean do you run both in the same way or does each restaurant require a different managerial strategy on your part well all the restaurants that are run a little differently because especially craft and clicking and sons because it's a different menu so the line staff is different you know the front of the house staff there's more front of the house probably at Clicky on Sons and Craft than there is because it's more, you know, plated. Craft is like bring a huge tray up and drop it and then everyone, <laughs> you know, puts all the platters in the middle of the table. So service is a lot different. But, um, yeah, definitely it's like same concepts, same cooking techniques, same uh, thoughts about products, uh, you know, like dealing with stuff with, we get from you guys. Plus there's multiple there's a multitude of different vendors. Yeah, how many purveyors do you guys use between the two, three places now? We're going to talk about Topping Rose and the Hamptons in a, in a couple of minutes. Yeah, I, I, it's hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah, yeah very specific people, you know, like your pork we get from you. Yeah, thanks uh, for that. The Hearts of Palm from some guy in Hawaii. Oh, God. You know, uh, bacon from other person. And then, you know, just random stuff that, you know, is very specific. Uh, like for years we've done with Anson Mills, you know, all the different types of products. Anson Mills being one of the heritage heirloom grain yeah. for polenta, right? Yeah, and they do a special grind for us for craft. Oh, okay. It's a little bit coarser yellow. And then they have that Pearl Bianca, which you can get every once in a while, which is the white, really sweet uh, polenta, which is amazing. Plus a multitude of other stuff they have. <laughs> so uh, how would you say how much of the ingredient is it? Uh, how much is it ingredient and how much is it what you do to it? Uh, I mean, I know Alice Waters is probably on one extreme. She says 90% of cooking is agriculture. Where And then, uh, you know, other restaurants, like Wiley Dufresne, his whole thing is to break the food down all the way. So yeah. uh, where would you put, uh, you know, in the spectrum, Kraft and Colicchio and Sons? Well, yeah, definitely it's the product, you know. If, uh, it's heavy, I would say. 80% product, you know. I mean, it could vary depending on who's handling it. You know, we could get a great product and have a cook just kill it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you get a great product, there's less manipulation that you have to do to it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, certain fish, you know, if you know how to handle all these varieties of fish, you have a beautiful fish come in. It's very little that has to be done to it. But is there a shortage? Like, uh, could you say that you actually have the best of something because it's in such short supply? Or are these pristine ingredients generally shared now by all the great restaurants? Or do you actually have access to a fish that is just so delicious? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, are ingredients readily available now equally to all these great chefs? Or do you still have inside trading with certain producers because yeah. the slow food movement maybe isn't as big as we think it is on the farms? <laughs> well, I, you know, the, it's a constant uh, looking at no new products meeting with new people and uh trying out new stuff like in topping rose they have we have a, someone who does uh raises striped bass farm raised striped bass but they're from a wild fish hmm. so they they get the eggs and and then raise the fish from you know from scratch hmm. but it's a wild it's not a uh a, a genetically enhanced you know striped bass that you get like down in chinatown right 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 so then they feed them natural uh food like squid chopped up from the mm. boats and then they put them in pens that are in the wild where the bait comes through the pens and they eat natural fish hmm. so they started using so it's aqua it's wild and cultured at the same yes, time yes yeah. and it's you know uh, I've seen the product and I've been I haven't actually tried it but it, 
they started using them recently. It's not, it's it's like the best of both worlds, I think. I'm actually waiting for a chef like you to commission a diving team to fish a hunt a giant squid in the depths of the ocean and bring it back. <laughs> I wonder if it would taste like uh, squid does. Yeah, it'd probably be pretty chewy. But uh, you talk about topping rows in the Hamptons. I mean, you just told me about that. That sounds insane. I mean, a 22-room inn and spa and restaurant. Now, the inn and spa are going to open in a bit, but the restaurant's already open. Uh, has that? What's that been like, opening? Because the food is not that great in the Hamptons, surprisingly. The raw ingredients are, but it's not like there's 100 great restaurants out there. Um, and so you're about to change that. What's, what's it been like? Tell us about that place. So it's been the works for a while. It's a uh, renovated uh, home and barn. And the house you know, has seven rooms in it. And is a, I can't remember how many seats, but it's like it's a small small restaurant, like sixty seats or so. Um, in September, we opened up just the restaurant itself, <clears throat> and it's a beautiful space. I mean, it's an amazing space. It's uh, right off of Twenty Seven in Bridgehampton, um, and you go. And I was out there in the summer, you know, help opening it up and you know, uh, getting the team together with you know Ty, the chef's cuisine, and you know Tom and everyone. Um, you know, it's so close to the city, it's two and a half hours away, mm-hmm. but, you know, everywhere there's, like, the most amazing lettuces and, you know, the most amazing corn and tomatoes, and it's so close, and you think, oh, yeah, the green market tomatoes are great, but out there there's such a, it's everywhere, and it's, you know, uh, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it just right, tastes better. It's just, it's just better. And, and That's a terroir thing, or the ocean I think effect? It's, or? I think it's because it's, it's right there, you know, like, we'll get it, like, a day later. Uh-huh, right. You know, and they get it, like, instantly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ty has worked with, you know, uh, lots of smaller people with, like, beautiful lettuces and different, very small, uh, different things from random farmers that, you know, don't necessarily we see. But, because I'll go out there and go through the walk-in and I'll be like, oh, where'd you get that? Or where'd you get that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, the farm out there is we have a, a really cool guy named Jeff that, uh, is, you know, since it was so late in the year last year, it, we had very little on the farm. Hmm. But it's about three quarter acre, and uh, but the carrots that were coming out of the ground were just you know amazing, and you know all the lettuces that he got down because it was kind of quicker crops. How many seats is that restaurant out there? I think it's sixty. Sixty seats, some, um, somewhere around there, and then it has a barn that's kind of special parties, and you know. Hmm. Once uh, that inn opens up, it'll be lovely. You just stay at the inn and eat the food, and yeah, you don't have to drive anywhere. It's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, so you're in all these three places. It's a very uh, awesome for an ADD person to be the ideal job because you're constantly doing something else but what is a day in the life of uh, how do you divide up your day are you waking up at seven in the morning and trying to hit all three places every day or well, how do you divide up your time <clears throat> and also at that same vein how much time are you in the back of the house thinking about food costs and how much of the time are you in the kitchen producing stuff well I wake up uh, usually around 6 30 in the morning and you know I have two kids so mm-hmm. Usually make breakfast. We're out in Roberta's right yeah, now. Yeah, they just had some pizza out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look a little squirrely, but <laughs> that's fine. They can run around. Uh, so about six thirty in the morning, get up, make breakfast, uh, make their lunches, get them off of school. You know, cook for them too, huh? Well, it's early in the morning, and I'm not usually that coherent, so it's it's very minimal cooking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, get them off of school, and then you know, around nine o'clock, I start getting emails. You know, some try to answer people's questions by email or whatever and you know depending on the day like the other day i was in around 8 30 and we did a, a photo shoot for uh someone and that just still you know it was all day so my days change up depending on what's around like the other day i was out in california for the week mm-hmm. you know hanging out in la craft la and then doing a special luncheon with the bill clinton foundation wow uh i think it was bill clinton. yeah it's for bill clinton some other um, he's helping somebody somehow. Yeah, he's doing something, you know. <laughs> and I'm just cooking it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, You're just helping them raise all the money. Yeah, so, something like that. Because, uh, you know, people want to eat good food if they go to these fundraisers. Yeah, and it was freezing, and it was a lunch out there in, like, Palm Springs area. Um, so usually I try to get in the, into the craft, click on Sons, or wherever I am, um, around noonish, mm-hmm. somewhere out there. Um, and then check out, you know, usually work with the chef cuisines and the restaurants and look at what's coming in or, mm-hmm. you know, talk to the purveyors and, you know, find, that's when we're dealing, you know, throughout the day, I get, just got an email from some guy that gave me a sample of Wagyu the other day. Oh, yeah. ago. I was like, Hey, what's up? And 
got to get back to him later. But uh, so that happens throughout the day, you know. Um, get in, go through the walk-ins with wherever I am, and you know, work with the chef cuisine and talk about, you know. Recently, it's been a lot about costing and you know uh, how to organize it and how to everything evolve with it. Um, we'll talk about the menu for the night, you know. If Which like, changes? Yep, uh, changes. You know, well, everywhere it kind of changes randomly, depending on ingredients. You know, fish, meat, or whatever. Craft is really easy like that because you know it's all like you know, I get the ruined duck in, I get forty orders, and I run that out, and I go into something else. Right. So it's really easy to like change the menu up, and uh, you know, like the ruined duck is a something in the past five years. I've worked with a farm out in Jersey, mm. and she raises them for us. And uh, heritage breed, that's awesome. Yeah, it's very difficult to raise them one, and it's very difficult to get the the breed. You know, actually, to be a pure breed, to be a pure breed, because yeah. you know it's been a very difficult situation. You know, uh, the people that I've worked with in that, you know, when we get them, they're amazing. Yeah, but it's very random, and that's why Kraft is good at that because we can get him up, get mm-hmm. him on, and then just take him off. No, no stress with the eighty sixing of anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, well. Uh, I want to ask you about, uh, before we get into some other interesting things, like I know you're very excited that Fairway opened. Yes. So we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> I know you're going to go there. I want to know what you're going to buy. But um, just as we move on, I want to talk also about Laurie's uh, Silver Bush's movie about hunger. Um, how do you and Tom engage then? Because that's interesting to see how you uh, do so many different things for him. You're constantly going around, purveyors, chefs, walk-ins, menus, cooking. Um, how how do you how do you and him engage? Do you speak once a day, or um, when you want to change it up, <coughs> what do you run by him, and what don't you? And and likewise with your sous chefs, how do they get their creative input in? So, w- when I go to the restaurants, craft, <coughs> click on sons, whatever. So I work with the chef cuisines. Uh, Luke is the chef cuisine at click on sons, and Chris Levy is at craft. And Ty is at Top and Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I try to work with these guys in all as, aspects of the restaurant, you know, ordering, mm-hmm. you know, who to hire, who not to hire, firing or whatever. So I, I work directly with those guys and try to give them the information to do their job as well as possible. Do you ever just show up in the middle of a shift and be like, hey, guys? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. You know, like some, a, lot of, a lot of nights I'll start a click on Sons mm-hmm. and maybe expedite service a little bit and then go over and just roll in the craft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's usually fine. You know, sometimes the cooks get a little excited, but you know, whatever. Um, so I, I try to give those guys information to do their job correctly. So if I'm if I'm leaving the kitchen, they can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've known Tom and worked with Tom. You know, since you know '97, mm-hmm. off and on. Um, the reason why I've worked for that long with him because you know I really like working for him and the company, and I respect what he does and you know the food that we put out every day. I feel feel good about it and he just lets you be i mean he know he trusts you now and you pretty much just run his restaurants for him basically well, well i mean he comes in and gives input you know like uh you know we're working on trying to make our our menus as clean as possible you know with like the, the meats and everything um you know if something he doesn't like he'll say hopefully and you know then we'll change it you know mm-hmm. um you know if there's something like i have an idea about or whatever i can run by him um, but hopefully, yeah, he'll, hopefully he trusts me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think after all this time. So um, now his wife has just produced a movie or made a movie called uh, A Place at the Table, Laurie Silverbush, and it covers the issue of hunger in our time. So can you yeah, speak um, a little bit about all this uh, hoopla about this big movie? It sounds like a very important one. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible movie. I saw it uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, you know, it's a documentary and it talks about you know shows a lot of different families and a lot of statistics uh, <coughs> excuse me a lot of numbers here in america <clears throat> in america yeah it's about hunger in america wow and shows through the the years of like what has changed what is not you know through programs and uh help and everything involved um is there still hunger in the u.s there's a massive amount of hunger and it's hmm. something you know i was very surprised about after watching the movie is like how much hunger there is and the numbers and you know of people who are needing help and um you know what's being done because you know we do fundraising and you know special events for hunger and children and food issues all the time but you know it's amazing 
and it kind of opens your eyes after you after you watch the movie hmm. um, of like how much it's kind of you know it's just not out there in the news it's surprising that it's not so much it's not in the news unbelievable yeah that's another thing the food section doesn't cover you know uh, there are certain issues that just never get covered global warming you know pesticides lack of slaughterhouses hunger I mean just on and on and yeah. on these food magazines <coughs> and uh, basically I think every food anything television especially you know other than this radio network they will build their entire content off of food yes but not cover the 50 most important issues about food i mean it just seems a little not that they need to change the entire scope of what they do but one percent two percent of their content could deal with some of these issues i mean that's amazing to know that uh all these uh yeah it's like uh one, maybe they don't want people to know as much, and maybe people don't want to hear it. Sponsors, I'm uh, yeah, sure. It's, you know, it's a, you know, after watching the movie, you know, it's an amazing movie, um, but it's 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 pretty eye opening. Yeah, so for I, sure. I would suggest everyone check it out. And, yeah, for sure. And we're going to tag it up on the site, a place at the table, Laurie Silverbush. But uh, now, in more local news, uh, there's <laughs> a uh, you've uh, kind of been. Uh, you have an opinion, a firm opinion, about the bus strike, which has hit uh, New York City. So could you explain to our listeners who are not from here exactly what the strike is and what's your take on it? Well, the strike just finished. Um, so the busing system in New York, you know, uh, went on strike because the union was like, uh, there's arguments about how much you're going to get paid. And, you know, I think, I, you know, I don't know all the facts. The main thing is that these people went on strike whoever's faulted as a union are you know bloomberg's mm-hmm. uh department yeah. um <clears throat> these are kids who a lot of them are special need kids who rely on going to school to like speak write, you know the basic fundamentals of you know how you how you live and it was ridiculous to me that the fact that these kids <clears throat> could not get to school to get you know this stuff and it's and it was for weeks I think it was like six weeks. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, like my daughter, luckily we were able to do get her to school. But I'm sure there's there were lots of parents that weren't able to get their kids to school, and um, building up all this knowledge base. All, yeah, just all just to see it crumble. Yeah, and it, you know it's like these buses are transporting kids who need to go to school to learn how to read. You know, do fundamental things like you know use the restroom and you know uh, to get through life. And you know these two. Uh, you know, the New York government and also the union of you know the school board union or the school bus union. You know, it's, it seems so mundane that you know, like maybe you guys should try to figure it out. Besides, like making sure you know get this get the kids to school, yeah. talk about it on the side and figure it out. <clears throat> yeah, still keep those kids going. Yeah, for sure, so, for sure. Well, it's over now, so now yeah, is yeah, she going uh, yeah. back? Uh, is it the yeah. same guys or is it? I think for now it for is. Now I it think is. you know, They've... after Bloomberg leaves, it'll be an issue for the next. You know, mayor, but Colin Quinn or what Quinn, whatever her name is. Yeah, yeah, whoever whoever yeah. decides to take that on. Well, very interesting. And uh, so, uh, Fairway, you're happy to hear that Fairway is yes, reopened. Yes, yes. You know, that's where I usually go grocery shopping. For uh, I live over in Carroll Gardens, so the short you know hop over there. And uh, it's been tough the last couple of weeks. You know. Yeah, no. I mean, that was so months, sad. Months. They lost everything. All that food out to get oh, thrown yeah. out. They were gone, closed for months. I mean, Red Hook got it bad. I mean, my wife's sitting right out there at Roberta's her uh, cheese cave you know got flooded the entire 20 foot refrigerator got lifted up off the ground I mean real powerful even though you know many people in the city were like what I I didn't see anything yeah I mean we we got crushed by you know crap you were right by the water yeah I mean all our restaurants you know Clicky Sons Craft Craft Bar you know, they were, we were closed for a week, you know. And mm-hmm. We had 10 pallets of pork sitting at Pat Lafrida <clears throat> with nowhere to go because 80% oh, yeah. of our restaurants were closed yeah, yeah, for it's a, a week or it, more. It, it, it sucked cleaning out that uh, after that one. Ooh, God, I heard some – it was a shit show. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, this has been fascinating. I mean, there were all these other questions I didn't even get to ask, but uh, – um, it has been fascinating uh, to he- get a lens into such iconic and successful restaurants. So uh, thanks so much for being on. And um, 
craft.com craftrestaurant.com right is that the two websites yeah we have a <clears throat> website uh, craft restaurants I'm not sure exactly what it is but .com. You know, I'm sure you google you it you can get Google on there. it yeah, yeah. people can find it and it has now. like per, you know all the different uh, restaurants that we have well from one hero of mine to another uh, we are about to uh, call in to Nancy Newsom. hey Joe did you have any luck getting Nancy on I'm going to give her a call right now. All right. Fantastic. Well, do you know, have you ever tried Nancy Newsom's ham, James? Uh, not that I know of. She is a, a, a descendant of Colonel Bill Newsom, And when he passed away, she basically ran what is considered the most delicious ham, you know, or cured ham, like prosciutto style ham made in America. So, uh, and she's got a, a great style. She's actually won good food awards and, and, and this and that because of the consistency and pure deliciousness. And everyone's always like, oh, you got to go to Italy to taste this cured meats. But this woman has been doing it all along for over a century. She's in line with Sam Edwards and Al Benton. You know, she's part of the elite. So, uh, Nancy, are you with us? Nope, we're still trying to get her on the line here, Patrick. Still trying to get her on the line. All right. Yeah, I definitely like to eat some pork, so, you know, hopefully yeah. she brings some by later, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I hope she'll come in from Kentucky. Well, I like her. She has a, she orders a few pallets from us every single year, and um, she's like, this is my high-end line. She has a little shop out there in Kentucky, and I really want to ask her about the water because the, uh, Sam Edwards laments that he doesn't have that same water base is the foundation for his properties where he cures the hams because he says it instills her hams with a delicious flavor just like uh you know bagels they say i guess are made good because of the water yeah well new york water is good so well um we will take a uh, quick break and uh come back with uh, nancy newsome Hey, Nancy, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fine, Patrick. How are you doing? Oh, very, very good. Thank you so much for giving us a little piece of your Sunday. Uh, well, I want to, of course say what a hero you are of mine and uh, that you're going to be on my show many more times this year um you know a, a little you. bit of each uh, a little bit of nancy all the time but tell our listeners who don't know you the headlines of the history of newsom hams uh my family came to uh america from england in 1632 <clears throat> and they learned the art of curing hams in uh, Jamestown, Virginia. Then they traveled through North Carolina, Surrey County uh, area uh, areas in uh, Virginia, all the way into North Carolina, and wound up in and took this process with them. <clears throat> they began to cure the hams, which I feel like was by way of the Indians curing venison mm. before the pigs arrived. And then it went through North Carolina. We moved there. And then after moving to uh, North Carolina, our family, the Newsoms, N-E-W-S-O-M, as it is, stayed there. And then they finally made their way to Caldwell County in Kentucky, which is the, the um, county that I cure in, in 1823. So my family has always cured hams. And uh, it, my father cured hams with his father, um, and my father, my grandfather began a business in 1917 and cured steel for his family. And then my father uh, actually saw the need when many people quit curing their own hams uh, to actually continue to cure his own until it, in 1975, James Beard wrote about us in a, in a syndicated column of American Airline magazine, and thus our mail order was born. Hmm. So... And then I'm curing today the same recipe that my father cured, which he verified by an old will from the 1700s. Fantastic. Well, um, you got you got no stories older than that? 
nothing just 1632 that's it no just kidding but uh, let me ask you <laughs> let me ask that's you patrick you're always teasing with me <laughs> <laughs> well nancy tell me this uh is the locale an important place like do you think the recipe is at all dependent on the place where you made it i'd like did the ham taste a little bit each place or do you think it's more the process or uh, is it the water or the temperature or seasons I would say it has a lot to do with the seasons because I know there are certain areas of the United States that, you know, uh, the weather does not coordinate. Now, many uh, commercial producers today that uh, cure large numbers uh, use climate control year-round. But what we do is we coordinate with the weather and with nature. And so, see, we're on, uh, we have a cold part of the year in which it makes it very conducive. Of course, I would say that also the curing process itself has something to do with it. Plus, when we brought the hams into the government facility that we were, had to build 50 years ago, uh, we brought the molds from a smokehouse that had always exclusively been a smokehouse since the early 1800s. Hmm. So these molds also came along with it. But we are on the same latitude as Spain, uh, our area in in uh, Princeton, where I cure the hams, has a network of caves underneath it, very same as over in Aracena, Spain, where my ham is in a museum over there. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it is, it has a lot to do with the weather. It has a lot to do with the environment around the smokehouse, because just after, even after the curing process, when you put those hams into the smokehouse, uh, as my father used to say, each smokehouse has its own moles. <laughs> and so I would say that, you know, um, there are folks that blindfolded can select my ham. Um, I know Mr. Peter Kaminsky can, was blindfolded at the Jacob Javits Center, and out of 12 hams, he chose mine. Mm. So I would say that a lot of that has to do with many of the things I just mentioned. Well, is there a very, very, very interesting, is there a taste? I always ask people, and actually Peter Kaminsky was one of the best people to answer this question. Um, you know, people have trouble putting taste into words. So what right. is the taste uh, that you are trying to achieve consistently with your longer aged hams? Uh, the taste has to do with a more of a, it has more of a pungent, it has a more depth of flavor in the aged hams. It is kind of hard to uh, describe describe the flavor, but if a person tastes a younger ham and they taste an older ham, they definitely know the difference. It just has a complexity of flavors that go with it. Um, I would say it's, it's, uh, it's not just a salt flavor that they get. It's not just a pork flavor that they get. They get actually a complexity of uh, a little salt, maybe just a little little bit of sugar come through, and um, just an aged flavor. If anyone has eaten European hams, then they know the flavor that I'm speaking of. Now, have you perfected it, and can you nail it every time, or is there still... Uh uh, would you consider yourself an expert at this point, or are there still, let's say, charming inconsistencies between the hams? Well, I would say that there, that there is no... Um, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, because when we've arrived, then we always can learn more. But I would say that um, the... The curing process that we have has been was perfected by my father. I saw no reason to change that. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of times when uh, younger generations take on a business, they say, oh, I can do it better, or I can do it this way. But, but I have felt that the curing the hams the same way has actually, it's, it's proven to be uh, kind of an enigma in the marketplace because of... Uh, so many hams that are not premium aged by the weather anymore. Hmm. And like I said, I think that our weather has a lot to do with it. And I think that the curing process that, that my father said about was, you know, is what makes it different, like I said. Do you have brothers and sisters who carry the tradition with you? 
Uh, no, my brother is uh, lives in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He just retired from EPA and administration there, and he was there for 43 years with the government. But, of course, he cured the hams with my father as a young boy. Mm-hmm. Um, he he cured hams with him. But he went on to get his college degree, which was very much what my father really wanted him to do. And uh, I don't, my father really never expected me to take over this business. He, uh, I don't know that he ever thought that uh, his daughter would be the one to take it over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're filled with many surprises, Nancy. Um, <laughs> what is your website? My website is Newsom's, N E W S O M S, Country Ham at yahoo.com. Uh, right, that's the email. All right, so uh, Nancy, you know, Newsom's, and uh, it is very, very, very delicious. I, I almost think there's a kind of milky dairy flavor a little bit to the hams. I mean, uh, they are one of a kind, and we're so honored that you buy our hams and that you exist and uh, that you're out there traveling, promoting slow food, uh, you know, through the hams. So um, will you come back on with us in uh, four or five weeks, and uh, we'll ask you some different questions about uh, Newsome hams? I would love to, and I would absolutely love to. And I might add they are nitrate-free, which makes for a very long hand-rubbing process with them, too. Uh, but I, I would love to come on. I am honored that, that you all appreciate it's always an honor for a ham producer to have someone appreciate what they do, and, and you all work so exquisitely with me, and I just appreciate it very, very much. Oh, you're very, very sweet. Well, in fact, now you can come on every week after that. That's pretty <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I would love to, Patrick. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you every day. <laughs> I know. It would be very nice. I would never get anything done because I, I talk so much with you. It's, it's just fun to talk. But um, thank <laughs> you very you. much, and uh, thanks to all our listeners for listening. Uh, stay tuned for Straight No Chaser, followed by the Mike and Judy Show with Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>